this country have seen many new faces. People from all parts of the British Commonwealth and Empire and from the Allied nations. These are among the last pictures to be taken in the capital of the Gold Coast. For when this day is over, Accra becomes the capital of Ghana, an independent nation within the Commonwealth. Hello everyone and welcome to Hello from Britain, the Black British History podcast, a podcast focusing on histories of Black British women in the 20th century. I am your host, Sean, and I must sincerely apologise for the hiatus we've been on since August 2021. I'm currently pursuing a postgraduate degree and it has unfortunately taken up a significant amount of my time. However, now in January 2022, I am back with a vengeance and ready to walk through some more Black British histories with you. Because of my current commitments, I must say that the podcast will now be released once every two months. In other words, there'll be a new episode during the first weeks of January, March, May, July, September and November. There may be additional special episodes peppered in throughout the year, but once in every two months will be the set schedule that this podcast will follow. In this way, I will avoid going on the extended hiatus that I went on last year and will be able to keep bringing you the diverse and brilliant histories of Black British women in the 20th century. So, without further ado, let's get into today's topic, women and black power. You've probably heard of the Black Panther Party. The Black Panther Party for Self-Defence was founded in the US in 1966 by Huey P. Newton and Bobby Seale, young men who had met as students at Merritt College. Yes, there is an actual college in America called Merritt College. It's based in Oakland, California, and it's not named after the term Merritt, but rather after a 19th century doctor called Dr. Samuel Merritt. The Black Panther Party for Self-Defence, or the Black Panther Party, were a revolutionary organisation who quickly grew in the late 1960s and throughout the 1970s to have multiple chapters across the United States and over 2,000 members. Notable members of the Black Panther Party were Angela Davis, Soli Carmichael, later known as Kwame Ture, and Fred Hampton, who Daniel Kaluuya, the first black British man to win an Oscar, recently portrayed in the film Judas and the Black Messiah. Repeat after me! party as set out in their 10-point program were as follows one we want freedom we want power to determine the destiny of our black community two we want full employment for our people three we want an end to the robbery by the capitalists of our black community four we want decent housing fit for the shelter of human beings five we want education for our people that exposes the true nature of this decadent american society We want education that teaches us our true history and our role in the present day society. Six, we want all black men to be exempt from military service. Seven, we want an immediate end to police brutality and murder of black people. Eight, we want freedom for all black men held in federal, state, county and city prisons and jails. Nine, we want all black people when brought to trial to be tried in court by a jury of their peer group or people from their black communities as defined by the Constitution of the United States. Ten, We want land, bread, housing, education, clothing, justice and peace. Many black people, globally, agreed with the aims of the US Black Panther Party. Indeed, many still do today and felt inspired to create their own iterations of it. 
For instance, in the 1970s, there are a number of black power demonstrations across the Caribbean, which attracted the attention of the CIA and Britain's Foreign and Commonwealth Office. In particular, the Bermudan Black Beret Cadre, which existed from 1969 to 1972, was heavily influenced by the US Black Panther Party. Interestingly, across the Caribbean, who black people were with respect to black power was fluid depending on the racial demographics of marginalised people in each Caribbean country. For instance, in Trinidad, where a large segment of the population had Indian roots, and still has Indian roots, the leadership of the National Joint Action Committee, a political party set up in part due to finding inspiration in the American Black Panther Party, declared that there should be, quote, unity of all blacks, African and Indian, end quote. Focusing on Trinidad, it is worth noting that a notable member of the American Black Panther Party was born in Trinidad, Stokely Carmichael. Born in 1941, he moved to New York as a child and studied at Howard University as a philosophy major. He turned down a scholarship to pursue a postgraduate degree in philosophy at Harvard and soon became a key leader in 20th century global black liberatory politics, later changing his name to Kwame Ture after Kwame Nkrumah and Ahmed Sekou Ture, the first leaders of independent Ghana and Guinea respectively. He is the main reason for the popularisation of the term black power, which he linked to the need for black communities worldwide to band together to fight against white supremacy. As he once declared in a 1966 speech, quote, We are oppressed as a group because we are black. Not because we are lazy or apathetic. Not because we're stupid or we stink. Not because we eat watermelon or have good rhythm. We are oppressed because we are black. In order to escape that oppression, we must yield the group power we have, not the individual power that this country sets as a criterion under which a man may come into it. End quote. If any of you out there have ever used the term institutional racism, you might also be interested to know that Stokely Carmichael is one of the originators of that term. In the book, Black Power, the Politics of Liberation, which he co-authored with Charles Hamilton in 1967, institutional racism is described as a type of racism originating, quote, in the operation of established and respected forces in the society. It is institutional racism that keeps black people locked in dilapidated slum tenements, subject to the daily prey of exploitative slumlords, merchants, loan shark and discriminatory real estate agents. The society either pretends it does not know of this situation or is in fact incapable of doing anything meaningful about it, end quote. Continuing, they write, quote, Respectable individuals can absolve themselves from individual blame, but they continue to support political officials and institutions that would and do perpetuate institutionally racist policies. Thus, acts of overt individual racism may not typify the society, but institutional racism does, end quote. Carmichael and Hamilton's definition of institutional racism is referenced by Lord McPherson in the 1999 McPherson Inquiry following the murder of Stephen Lawrence in 1993. Crucially, in his report, Lord McPherson acknowledges that since 1967, a multitude of activists and scholars have expanded on Hamilton and Carmichael's definition. This perhaps goes a little way to explain why the Seal Commission controversially failed to find evidence of institutional racism in Britain in 2021. In their report, the Sewell Commission, or the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities, stated that to aid their assessment, they needed, quote, clear standard definitions of the terms institutional racism, structural racism, or systemic racism. Right now, they're used interchangeably, which creates further confusion, end quote. As a result, the Sewell Commission, or the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities, elected to create their own definition of institutional racism, which they described as a term, quote, applicable to an institution that is racist, or discriminatory processes, policies, attitudes or behaviours in a single institution, end quote. Anyways, back to Carmichael. 1967 was a, was a very important year in Stokely Carmichael's life. 
As well as seeing his co-authored book on Black Power published, Carmichael also came to London to give a speech at a conference entitled The Dialectics of Liberation. As well as giving the speech, Carmichael connected with various black people in Britain, including Darkus Howe, who he had known growing up in Trinidad. However, the UK government found Stokely's presence in Britain to be highly controversial, and within a few days of him leaving the UK, the Labour Home Secretary, Roy Jenkins, banned him from ever re-entering, as, quote, his presence here is not conducive to the public good, end quote. Indeed, The Guardian in 1967 quotes Patrick Wall, a Conservative MP, as saying that Stokely was an, quote, admitted racialist, who had been addressing meetings in Britain advocating racial violence, end quote. One of these said meetings was the Dialectics of Liberation Conference, which had speakers from all over the world discussing race, Marxism and psychiatry, among other topics. Carmichael spoke three times at this conference and his presence helped inspire black power politics in Britain. As CLR James later wrote, quote, it is undoubtedly his presence here and the impact that he has made in his speeches and his conversations that have made the slogan Black Power reverberate in the way that it's doing in political Britain, end quote. Indeed, one person who was particularly inspired by Carmichael was Obi Egbuna, who also spoke at the conference. Egbuna was an Ibo man from Nigeria and had studied in the US before relocating to Britain, Nigeria's former colonial master, with the intention of studying to become a lawyer at Inner Temple. A few months after Carmichael's speech in the summer of 1967, Agbuna founded the British Black Panther movement from a flat in Brixton. The manifesto of the British Black Panther movement drew heavily from Carmichael's speech at the Dialectics of Liberation Conference. Adopting the phraseology of Carmichael, Agbuna's manifesto opened by stating that, quote, all men are born free. It is men who make slaves of other men. It is therefore absurd to talk about making people free. You can only talk about stopping oppression. There is no such thing as the abolition of slavehood. You can only talk about the destruction of masterhood, end quote. The UK Black Panther movement were a black nationalist group who argued that black people needed to reject assimilation and support the fight against imperialism and neo-imperialism globally. They were also dedicated to developing black power consciousness among racialized groups in Britain, which they did by, among other things, organising Caribbean and African showcases in poetry, music and film, and promoting socialism. Importantly, given the racial demographics of the UK, for the UK Black Panther movement, Black people were people of both Asian and African descent, explaining why high-profile members of this organisation include South Asian people, such as Farouk Dondi. It is important to remember that people from South Asia and the Caribbean were the largest groups of racialised people in Britain at this time, with the next largest group being West Africans. Now, it may have dawned on you that I've yet to speak about any women in a podcast entitled Women and Black Power. Well, that is because the UK movement, much like the US movement, in fact, had an ambivalent relationship with women. On the one hand, many hundreds of women did join the UK Black Panther movement in 1967 and, after Egbuna was imprisoned for conspiracies to incite murder, UCL biochemistry PhD student Althea Jones-Laquan became leader of the UK Black Panther movement. Under her leadership, there was more allyship between the UK Black Panther movement and working class white people and more of a focus on the movement's class considerations. The movement also did a lot more outreach work, reaching many people through their newspaper Freedom News. Indeed, it was during Althea's leadership that the Mangrove incident happened. The Mangrove was a popular restaurant in Notting Hill, set up by a Trinidadian man, and was a spot that many young people regularly visited. In fact, a few A-list celebrities also viewed the Mangrove as a regular haunt when they were in London, including Bob Marley and Vanessa Redgrave. But, in 1969, the Mangrove's licence to operate as an all-night restaurant was revoked, and after this, the Mangrove remained under surveillance by the local council and police, and were repeatedly raided by police looking for drugs. In response, members of the local Caribbean community and the British Black Panther movement marched in defence of the Mangrove restaurant in 1970. 
around 150 people marched and around 700 police officers were present. Violence erupted and eventually nine of the protesters, including Althea, were arrested. These protesters later became known as the Mangrove Nine. Althea and Darkus Howe, who I mentioned earlier, were two of the nine protesters who opted to represent themselves in courts. And this was one of the first times that black people represented themselves in a British court, which was quite significant. After 55 days, all defendants were cleared on a charge of incitement to riot, but faced suspended sentences for lesser offences. So it is clear that women were within the UK Black Panther movement and were also influential in leadership positions and were protesting alongside and many other people. So it is clear that women were influential within the UK Black Panther movement and indeed, like Althea, could hold leadership positions. However, despite Althea's leadership, many women within the UK Black Panther movement felt that they were being overly sexualised by men in the movement and that women's issues were undervalued within the movement as well. Therefore, many women decided to set up their own women-focused organisations. As explained in the book Heart of the Race, Black Women's Lives in Britain, quote, some sisters felt very strongly that we should stick it out within the organisations and try to strengthen the women's position within them. But for most of us, setting up an autonomous group for black women was really necessary at the time. From the discussions we had, we were aware that there were issues that are related to us, particularly as black women, like women's work, our economic dependence on men and childcare, which we could organise around. It was a chance to put them on the top of the agenda for the first time. One such organisation was the Brixton Black Women's Group, which was founded in 1973. This group advocated on behalf of black women for various causes, including, for example, abortion rights. In the 1970s, there were various points in time at which the Abortion Act 1967, the prevailing law of the land in this country when it comes to abortion rights, was challenged. This included in 1979, when Scottish MP John Corrie attempted to introduce legislation that would make it unlawful to have a late-term abortion in most of the UK and would require abortions to only take place where a woman's life was in grave danger or where there was a substantial risk of serious injury to her physical or mental health. In response, the Brixton Black Women's Group produced a flyer entitled Black Women and Abortion, in which they said that a black woman's right to choose must mean 1. The right to abortion on demand, 2 the right to free and safe contraception given on the basis of informed consent, and three, no forced sterilisation. Expanding, they said that, quote, once again, an attempt is being made to restrict women's right to safe legal abortion. As feminists and socialists, we believe that this and any other attack on our democratic rights should be resisted. But the position of black women in England means we cannot separate the issue of abortion from the other issues that affect our lives. For them, these other issues included restrictive immigration laws, the use of then extremely controversial birth control Depo Provera, and proposals to withdraw child tax allowance claimed by black women in the UK who are supporting children abroad. So, reflecting on the Brixton Black Women's Group and the many other black women's organisations which were set up in the aftermath of the Black Power Movement, there was, it seems, much strength and community to be found in black women-centred organisations, and indeed more on this in the next episode coming at you in March. Now, before I go, a quick anecdote. As I mentioned, it was after Althea Jones-Laquan took leadership that the UK Black Panther movement got caught up in the Mangrove trial. This was a seminal trial, not only because it has since been immortalised by Stephen McQueen's Small Axe BBC series, and not only because Althea and Darkus chose to represent themselves, but also because, in the words of the late barrister Ian MacDonald QC, who was a founding member of esteemed Civil Liberties Chamber's Garden Court, Althea and the other defendants learned, quote, how to confront the power of the courts and in the end to break it. That was because the defendants refused to play the role of victim and to rely on the so-called expertise of the lawyers and because they were so organised that they could carry their intentions through. 
If you are strong, then the courts, like every other state institution, will seek to make some accommodation with you. End quote. Importantly, Althea's strength in particular is to be commended because during the trial, she was with child. As she told some interviewers recently, quote, when I was in the Old Bailey during the Mangrove case, I was pregnant. So that was one of the challenges of being a woman, being pregnant and having responsibilities that go beyond responsibilities for the broader struggle, end quote. Elaborating, she later said, quote, when you have a child, the realities of caring for that child and being responsible for that child and then what you know in theory about family, how we are not here as individuals, we are here as a group and the importance of a family and the importance of extensions. These are the things that become reality for you because you're not in the world alone, end quote.